Welcome to Peace, Peace, Love, Love, and Soup. Audio nourishment for the heart and mind with Brian Delaney and Tave Fashe Drake. We don't hide the crazy, we parade it down the street. Because there's no big Mardi Gras festivities happening for the most part. Because COVID hit. We thought this is a wonderful time for us to give people Mardi Gras in a podcast form. Luckily, we have previously unreleased recordings from Mardi Gras past. Captured right here in Portland, Oregon. And it wouldn't be a celebration without food. Or soup in our case. So we had a gumbo cookout with Bayou-born Randy Jackson. And for a sweet treat, Baker Dan educates us on king cake. Tave. Yes. <laughs> I noticed Mardi Gras falls on your birthday this year. Oh, it does. It does. Joie anniversaire. Joie anniversaire. Join us for this episode. Jumbo gumbo yaya. Join us around the table for this episode. Jumbo, Jumbo gumbo, gumbo yaya. On y va. Allons-y. Brian, there's a pretty neat thing going on called the Misty Crew of Nimbus. It originally started as a number of Louisianans that moved up to Portland and wanted to bring the tradition of Mardi Gras with them. And so they put on a huge Mardi Gras ball. Here in Portland? Yes. So I took a field mic out, got a little bit of music and some different stuff. We're going to feature Crystal Lane on this next one. Thank you. This is a tune called Mardi Gras in New Orleans. In the key of D, y'all. Jim Karen, and this is my wife. Nidra. We live in Lafayette, Louisiana, about 120 miles northwest of New Orleans. Where are you from originally? A little town called Chitanya. North of Lafayette. Chitanya, those little towns are Prairie Cajun. Homa is Cajun Bayou, and Creole is New Orleans. New Orleans is the big city for Mardi Gras. A lot of parades, a lot of balls, but we enjoy coming to Portland. Our son and daughter-in-law started up a crew, and this is their ninth ball. We like to see the people from Oregon celebrate Mardi Gras. How does it differ up here? The Mardi Gras festivities in Louisiana, there's a lot of formal events. Men dressed in tuxedos, women in long gowns. Those balls you have to be a member and be invited to. Where in Oregon, it's all costume, based on the theme of the year. They have a king and a queen, and they choose a theme for the ball. This year, it's Pirate Alley. But then the people that buy the tickets and come, they're not all going to come as pirates. They come whatever they want to, or put beads in a mask, and you're dressed. Now, you were telling me about somebody flashing for beads. What was this? (laughs) That's in New Orleans. So a lot of the women will raise their shirts and flash themselves to tempt the people on the float to throw them a lot of beads. (laughs) Nidra, were you flashing Jim when he was on the float? (laughs) No. (laughs) What do they do with the beads? Like a one-day deal. You wear the beads while you're catching them and parade around with them all day. And at the end of the day, they're put away somewhere and throwing them away. 
Nidra and I collect a lot of the beads from our friends. We recycle the beads from Louisiana to Portland. And this year we brought up 250-pound suitcases full of bees. You hand those out at the parade. Yeah, the parade on Mississippi Avenue. Tell me that thing about, was it the horseback and the chickens? Oh, that's a Cajun Mardi Gras run. It's called the Courier de Mardi Gras. Yeah, that's performed on horseback. The riders dress up in Mardi Gras clothes. They make a mask with, you know, the screen that you cover your windows with? They cut it out and paint it and make the eyes, and then they make the hat called the capuchon. It's like a cone, like the clowns wear. They go to the farmer's house and beg. They sing a song. They want to catch a chicken. The owner of the farm has a live chicken in his hand and throws it in the crowd, and if they can catch it, they take it home for the gumbo that they want to make. Most of them are pretty drunk. (laughs) And do they throw out vegetables, too, or just chickens? Now, they might throw out pennies and quarters so that the Mardi Gras people could buy other stuff for their meal. Used to be only men that rode Mardi Gras. Women have protested, and now women run on the Mardi Gras crew. You were asking us about gumbo earlier. Yeah, tell me about gumbo. The first thing you got to do is make a roux. That's kind of the base. Get your chicken and your sausage. Some people make a seafood gumbo, a crab and sausage gumbo. You can add okra if you want, but you don't have to. New Orleans just chops up the okra and throws it in the pot, so it's kind of slimy. I like to cook my okra on the side, smother it in a pot till it's falling apart. Then I just spoon it into the gumbo. Now, what is a roux? A roux is made with flour and oil that you cook together on the stove in a black iron skillet, and you just keep cooking and stirring it until it looks like chocolate syrup. You use that to make a gumbo. I just throw all my chicken in with water and onion tops and parsley and let it cook till the meat's done. Well, thank you both. Laissez le bon temps rouler. Is that what they say down in Louisiana? Yeah, exactly. Let the good times roll. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I am here at the annual Mardi Gras Ball in Portland, Oregon. It went from about 30 or 40 people and it expanded and over 100 put this event on and opened it up to the public. And uh, they're telling me, you don't call it a party, it's a Mardi Gras Ball. Fine, sir. I'm interviewing for Peace, Love, and Soup. My card. Oh my goodness. King Phil VII. I was the seventh king of the Misty Crew of Nimbus. Is it like presidency, once a king, always a king? Yes, once a king, always a king. This is our ninth ball. We just selected King Mark and Queen Teresa. They're going to be excellent royalty. Our theme this year is Tableau and Pirate's Alley. Pirate's Alley is a little stretch of Cobblestone Street into French Quarter. The French Quarter is known for a lot of tourists. So we're dressed like tourists. Queen Laura here, number six. six. Wait, I was king. It says seven on your card. I was king seven. Yeah. So my partner here is wearing a white t-shirt that says, who's your crawdaddy? And mine says, I got bourbon faced on Bleeve Street. We're a bunch of people who love having a good time. Keeping Portland weird, you know, weirdness is where you find it. And keeping Portland weird, it's about keeping Portland local supporting our local businesses as opposed to national conglomerates. I like that. And then why personally do you celebrate Mardi Gras? That's a really good question. 
there's an ethos and energy that goes with Louisiana, and that's why we started the crew. A whole bunch of people who were either from Louisiana or, like myself, had New Orleans spiritual musical connections. Mardi Gras has deep traditions in the Catholic Church. While I'm not a Christian, the whole purpose of Mardi Gras is to get to the real core of what the Lenten season is about, the sacrifice that we have to make. We can't always take, take, take. You have to give something back or give something up. And not everybody takes the deep spiritual thought, but a lot of people do. And I see a lot of that in the Mardi Gras experience. And of course, Carnival, it's a feast of flesh, right? The Bacchanalian aspect of Mardi Gras, the party to lose connection to your earthly self and go somewhere else. I mean, we get to dress up silly and we get to dance, make music and eat king cake. And on Wednesday morning, all over the Catholic world, people are giving something up for 40 days. Every culture has it, they just have it differently. And this is how we do it here in Portland. All right. So we're, we're Best of Mardi Gras, enjoy the ball. And then we're going to well, thank you very much. The costume contest winners. So this is always a whirlwind for the new king and queen. Please describe for our listeners your magnificent outfit. Okay, I have a full-length sequined mermaid dress and menacing makeup that feels a little bit darker than you would expect from a mermaid because I'm trying to touch on the siren of the sea. And these women would lure the men in the fog with their song and lead them into the rocks. Their ships would break apart and they would drown. Wonderful. Why do you personally celebrate Mardi Gras? Because I fell in love with the music. It has a power to it. I could be in a not-so-great mood, and within a song or two, I'd be completely flipped around. When I started singing and playing, it just hooked me in even more. So now it's part of my life, bringing Zydeco to the masses. I play Frottoir, which is the Zydeco rub board, with Toulouse Cajun Zydeco Band in Portland, with Steve Louisiana Lightning Karen on keyboards. It's a fun night. Are you having fun? I don't know how you couldn't be having fun. Yeah, it's a melange of so many different characters, all here for the same esprit, the same sense of joie de vivre that we like to bring to Portland. And you could say that this gathering is a gumbo of sorts. Happy Mardi Gras. Our family's from New Orleans. Last night they had what's called the Zulu Ball, put on by African Americans down in New Orleans. 35,000 people attend the ball. Friday before Fat Tuesday. The bees I have on the night is from the Zulu crew in New Orleans. Go. Have a great one. Thank you. Wait, wait a second. Did I hear you say soup? <laughs> yeah, we went to the New Orleans School of Cooking and learned to make a shrimp and artichoke soup. So you just came back from New Orleans. It was quite the experience. The history of New Orleans in terms of food. Indigenous food and different European traditions that got cultivated by the culture in the South. Yes, we hit six parades. Got whacked in the head with boar beads on Canal Street. You're clearly dedicated that you made it back tonight for this event. I have to be here. This is my crew. I love it, absolutely love it. And the gluten-free king cake. 
we're going to make a king cake tomorrow, and then I'll take some to work and spread Mardi Gras cheer. All right, so we're going to do some things that's special about Mardi Gras is king cake. Yes. Drum roll, please. Everybody welcome Baker Dan. Yay, Baker Yay, Dan. Baker Dan. So glad to be back, yes. Matave and Brian. Yes. Tell us about king cake. King cake is a tradition in America associated with Mardi Gras in New Orleans. The king cake is made in a circle to represent a crown. It is braided or just a circular bread either a pastry or a brioche rather than your traditional cake. An Easter cake or a challah are similar in the consistency. And then the king cake is decorated with purple, gold, and green. Purple representing justice, gold power, and green representing faith. And then they glitz it up with everything from (laughs) true crowns to candied fruit, glazes, and sparkles. But the king's cake is made to represent the king. So in Which New Orleans, king? king of the day. Oh, <laughs> yes. So for Mardi Gras, the cake is first brought out into the bakeries on January sixth, which is the Epiphany. The three kings arrived in Bethlehem to present the gifts to the baby Jesus, and it also begins the festival of carnival which runs until fat tuesday ends and lent begins got it and so the cake traditionally in new orleans is stopped being sold on fat tuesday aha uh-huh. have you been to mardi gras i have new orleans? okay fantastic it is carnival <laughs> madness and interestingly all over the world there are celebrations of carnival not typical is this king's cake and in New Orleans, Yay. they have a specific tradition now. There is a hidden figurine in the cake. Is it a mini crown? It could be. But most often now, it is a little baby, often considered to represent the baby Jesus. In fact, that's not how it started. It isn't. No. Tell us. We actually go back to ancient Rome. There was a festival that celebrated Saturn, who's the god of agriculture. And the rulers mm-hmm. and the slaves switched roles for the festival. And the lower down in society were able to air their grievances, drink, and copulate to their heart's desire. Oh. And in that festival, they had a cake. And in the cake was a fava bean, which was considered magical. And whoever got the slice of cake with a fava bean in it would rule. Just for that one. Just for this festival. Even if it was a woman? Oh. You know, I I have to bring this up. So I know by the time we get to the Middle Ages, Mm -hmm. where this tradition has spread, the king or a queen would rule. Gosh, I'm semi-speechless because I know... Nothing about this Mardi Gras tradition and histories. That's why we sent you out into the streets with your recorder to find out more. (laughs) So I want to hear more, Baker Dan. Starting in Rome, spreading throughout Europe, into the Middle Ages, this 
surprise in the cake was typically the fava bean in multiple cultures. And that fava bean was thought to represent magic. In France, they eventually started painting the fava bean gold. And in the Middle Ages, they switched into baking porcelain figurines into their cake. How artistic. Yeah. And then as Christianity spread, Mm -hmm. they then started the tradition of it happening on January 6th, the Epiphany, Three Kings Day. Okay. Beforehand, it had been a celebration food associated with the new year. All right. Fast forward, we end up in New Orleans in about 1699. A French-Canadian explorer ends up in the New Orleans Territory actually close to Mobile, and he is credited with bringing Carnival to that area. And it was more of an elite celebration Mm -hmm. that lasted for that period of what we would call Carnival, Mardi Gras. Mm -hmm. And then about the 1950s, a specific New Orleans bakery called Mackenzie's is credited with putting in the first figurine of a baby. Oh, my. Um, Yeah. And Mackenzie did an interview in the 90s and said that the figurine was not meant to represent Jesus. Lastly, the king cake is cut open on Fat Tuesday, and while it may bring luck, it also requires the finder of the figurine must bake or buy that cake and or host next year's party. Really? My goodness. No, the next best thing to go into one of those parties is having one yourself. Is having one at home. So it is yeah. lucky to find it. Everybody's going to get together and throw in, too. Oh, yeah. Well, good. Dan, thank well, you thank so you, much. Thank you, So great to be here. We're here at Mississippi Pizza, a wonderful family-friendly pizza parlor and music venue, talking to Dan, the manager. Dan, why do you celebrate Mardi Gras? Well, it's just a super fun holiday. The Missy crew that puts on the parade, their folks really are from that area, and they really know the traditions and the authenticity factors, and it's really nice to have the parade going down Mississippi Avenue. The owner of Mississippi Pizza, Philip Stanton, is one of the early people that helped organize and support it financially. You know, the community is historically African-American. It hasn't been completely gentrified. It's an appropriate area to have this parade, this section of what I'm going to call very white Portland. Totally appropriate. The neighborhood really comes out, and lots of other people. I like that. Where are you from originally? Tennessee. This is good for me to decipher the difference in the accents. Tell us your name and what you're up to. My name is Matty V, and I'm having a show here tonight. Lucky Buku, Cajun Country Dance Party for Mardi Gras. Tell us a little bit about the parade. Well, it's put on by the Misty Crew of Nimbus, which is a fun, frivolous, frocking group. They don't mess around, but when they do, they don't mess around. (laughs) Where could people find out about your music? At mattyv.me. Have a great show. Bye. Have a good time. Thank you. My name's Tave, and what's your name? Farron, with Puppet Gumbo. Is your act called Puppet Gumbo? The group is called Puppet Gumbo, and the group is always changing. Gumbo is a uh, coming together of lots of cultures, flavors, and spices. It's the Creole Gumbo. It's known in the South, but it has roots in Africa, and the word gumbo comes from the African word okra. 
Gumbo also has connections with Spanish and German cultures. French too, of course. And here we are with puppets, diversified with different cultures and races and disabilities. Inclusivity all the way around, just kind of the grand vision for Puppet Gumbo. So everybody can come to the table. My podcast, Peace, Love, and Soup, is about bringing everybody together around the table, so I appreciate hearing you say that. Describe for our listeners this wonderful extravaganza you are wearing. Sure, I've got a puppet named Francie. She is a green alligator with a green mohawk. She's strapped to my chest. Uh, she stands about four feet tall. She's joined Mardi Gras parades, and, and she has roots in Louisiana. The parade tonight, are you going to be involved in that? Yes. A couple of us puppeteers are going to jump in, and it's a pretty cool thing. Thank you for the work you do in the world. Thank you for what you do in the world. With the awesome pointy gold bird mask and the little gypsy jewels hanging on your forehead and the musical note scarf tied on top of your head. Very nice. It's, it's chewy and good. <laughs> Typically around here that means something good. A road closure? Will you describe for our listeners what we can expect to happen here at this parade tonight? Oh, this parade is very family friendly. You get a lot of children and people with their dogs wearing beads. Everybody gets dressed up. The people that are already here at the bars start walking in with the parade. So it's a huge collaborative of community here. Happy Bat Tuesday. We're going to be on the side watching the parade. Talk to me about the parade. Um, it's gonna go far away and it's gonna be really big and then there's gonna be lots of instruments and they're gonna be walking in a line and they're gonna be surprised. Wow, have a wonderful evening. Okay. Talk to me about the Mardi Gras parade. I'm really excited to see it. I would not expect to see one here in Portland and I have no idea what to expect although I hear umbrellas are involved. Here they come. Boy. This is an umbrella. It's not very big. I mean, it's like a baby umbrella. You know, Portland doesn't use umbrellas. <laughs> they make a limited amount of them each year, and they decorate them, and they're all different. They had the little tag of who made them, and they throw them out at the parade, so you're kind of lucky to get one. It's just the epitome of Mardi Gras and all that it's about. I went last year, and it's probably the wackiest, most extravagant, and you see it. people trying to express their artistic ways. Yeah. You've got time. We want to be a part of it. You want to go further down, and then as soon as the second line passes, you can walk in the parade. And where are you from? We're actually from uh, Lawrence, Kansas. But we've always spent uh, every Mardi Gras NOLA. New Orleans. You know, we saw some people parading one day and we said, what are you parading for? And they said, well, it's Wednesday. Talk to me about a Mardi Gras parade. This place is a place where we can all get together, celebrating things that are not talked about. Ideologically speaking, they're frowned upon. I mean, it just sort of embraces the absurdity of things, right? And a movement that resembles that of a river. And that's what a parade is. I'm just looking at the crew of people you have here. Yeah, Most of the group here is Soup Night attendees. Yeah. It's a podcast yeah. called Peace, Love, and Soup. Oh, sweet! Soup is friendship glue. 2017, without really trying, built a community around Monday nights being Soup Night. Now it's this big, artistic, amazing community that all gets together and we bond over soup. It's our own form of activism, 
A soup night revolution where there's a soup night in every city. There's been a Colorado soup night, and a San Francisco soup night, Kansas, Missouri, New York recently, and Grand Rapids, Michigan. And there was one last night in Eugene. It was like a soup night reunion. I don't know if you see the tears welling up in my eyes, but I'm very excited about this. Tell our listeners where they can find out more. It's hashtag Soup Night Collective on Instagram. And feel free to hashtag that anytime you have a soup night. This parade is my favorite parade. It might only last eight minutes, but it's a very exciting eight minutes. Lots of lights because it's dark out. I actually got these beads at this very parade last year from a lady who was giving them away from real Mardi Gras. So this is as close as I've gotten, and someday I'll actually be there. Excuse me. Paper mache people. I was wondering if I could ask you all about your wonderful masks. Thank you. Um, yeah, it just started off as a little project. I don't even know how to describe it because I'm not looking at myself right now. The base is chicken wire with a combination of paper mache, newspaper, and tape. It's like kind of creepy, but also kind of warm. It took on its own scary character. It just came to be. I made mine last night in a couple hours. Tell us how large they are. They're probably like five times the size of a head. <laughs> The idea is that you see through the mouth hole. And what did you use for the eyes on yours? They're paper mache balloons. It was a really fun project to do together and we're both from the South. He lived in, you know, Louisiana for years. So this is what we can do to celebrate Mardi Gras. They're just breathtaking. your favorite part of the parade? Well, this really adorable guy or girl, I'm not sure, came up and handed me a piece of paper that was all folded it up, and when I opened it, it said, you are ravishing. Usually after the Mardi Gras, there would be something called a fado do, which is a street party. It's called fado do because you put the little kids to sleep and the adults can start partying. Right, and dodo means to go to sleep in French. What was your favorite part of the parade this evening? I like the black and white brigade. Very aesthetically beautiful. What about you? Bollywood and the pirates. I'm just noticing your wonderful headdress. Hi, thank you. My headdress? Like a woolly mammoth? <laughs> a rainbow woolly mammoth. And I just finished it yesterday. Felt it wool? Felt wool. I want to stay warm and woolly while spectating. <laughs> What about you? What was your favorite part? The dancers with the um, glow-in-the-dark stuff on them. I love being on the street with all the people dressed in their finery. Could I ask you what your favorite part of the parade was? All of it. <laughs> We're from Los Angeles, and we've never been to anything like this. thought this was the coolest thing. I like the way it kicked off. I thought it was a strong kickoff. The music, they were interacting with the audience. Cool. I liked when the middle school kids came out. That was super cute. Oh, that's adorable. Happy Mardi Gras! Tim Connell's playing piano tonight and is a world-renowned mandolin player and he and Maddie have been playing music together for about 20 years at least. 
listening to Peace, Love, and Soup. And now, did you know? Did you know many people confuse the single day of Mardi Gras with the entire celebratory season known as Carnival, which runs from Epiphany to Fat Tuesday. You see, the word for Tuesday is Mardi, and Gras means fat. Hence, Mardi Gras, or Fat Tuesday. This season of celebration happens worldwide, with the most well-known and over-the-top parties being held in Brazil, Venice, Italy, and of course, New Orleans. Did you know Mardi Gras was originated by French explorers? The first documented celebration in America was on March 3, 1699. And the first Mardi Gras parade, on record, took place in 1827, when a group of students returned from visiting Paris, wanting to recreate the French culture they so adored. Did you know Mardi Gras in New Orleans is very big? The most recent season included 54 parades featuring over a thousand floats by 50 plus crews. There were 588 marching bands and more than 135,000 participants. A crew is a social organization that puts on a parade and or ball for the carnival season. Fun fact, the first crews to parade during Mardi Gras are referred to as old line crews. These include the mystic crew of Comus, the crew of Proteus Rex, and the Twelfth Night Revelers. Did you know in the past two centuries, only 13 Fat Tuesdays in New Orleans have been canceled? Most cancellations are caused by war, or as in the case in 1979, when the police union went on strike. And unfortunately, because of COVID-19, Mardi Gras 2021 was canceled, though not to be thwarted. Rather than floats, the people of NOLA festively decorated their homes for spectators to drive by and enjoy. The question on everyone's mind is, gumbo, is it a soup? It's the most soup-like thing in Cajun food. Do you consider gumbo a soup? Oh, it's actually, I've never even thought about that. Gumbo is not a soup. If you know what it is, you know it's not a soup. Do you know about gumbo? Uh, I don't know. Gumbo, is it a soup? Sure. I think so, yes. No, but I love soup. I don't care what they say. Gumbo is a goddamn soup. Talk to me about gumbo. About gumbo? Gumbo's not just an ordinary soup. Gumbo is more like an institution. I would call it a stoop. Gumbo is not a soup, just like a hot dog is not a sandwich. Gumbo? Is it a soup? If you eat it with a spoon, it's got to be soup. I guess it all depends on what side of the table you're sitting on. It's not a soup. It's a gumbo. Oh yeah, I read about it in this book, Magic Treehouse. Do you think gumbo is a soup? Gumbo's more to me like a porridge. A little heartier. Gumbo works. Have it on sick days. Delicious. (laughs) We're talking about gumbo today. Is gumbo a soup? No, I almost consider it more like a goulash. It's a melting pot of flavors. It's a stew. If anybody tells you otherwise, they are horribly, horribly wrong. What about those of us who consider stew a soup? You're horribly, horribly wrong. (laughs) Stew is a subsection of stew. Gumbo is a stew, and a stew is a soup. Well, it begs the question, what is nobler, the stew or the soup? (laughs) The gumbo. (laughs) I can tell you where you're from. 
just by looking at your gumbo. New Orleans, Biloxi, or Houston. In my part of the country, Acadiana, we have thinner roux. A gumbo in New Orleans will always have oregano and tomato in it, and a darker, thicker roux. If you're doing a seafood gumbo, you do more of a green gumbo with a lot of okra in it. The way my mama made it, just chock full of fresh gulf shrimp, a little bit of oysters, that was the best. So, on this overcast winter day, Tave and I are outside wearing masks and safely distancing ourselves from our special soup chef and gumbo aficionado, Randy Jackson. Hi, Randy. Hello. Thanks for coming over to my porch. It's pretty awesome. I've never made gumbo before. Well, we're going to make it today. Here we go. Uh, Gumbos can be made out of so many different things. There's so many different varieties. Do you think it's a soup? I think it's almost kind of its own thing. For today's purpose, we'll call it a soup so it goes in line with what you guys are doing. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. We're paying him dearly. (laughs) Gumbo's a soup. Where I'm from, every family has their own recipe. If you ever get invited over to someone's house when you're in South Louisiana and there's a, a grandma cooking gumbo, that's about the best gumbo you can have right there. That's the good stuff. Did you learn to make gumbo from your grandmother? I learned from my mom... Her gumbo is awesome. She makes a Christmas Eve gumbo. And then a few older sisters, they have their gumbos that they make. It's a dish that reminds me of family. You get these recipes that have been handed down from generation to generation. And then when a woman would get her hands on it, eventually she cooked it so many times she would start making changes to it. So you've had this recipe that evolves and it's always delicious, you know. Because we have a somewhat amended soup preparation today on Peace, Love, and Soup. Randy has prepped a certain amount of this at home, and probably also because he didn't trust us to do it. (laughs) (laughs) So is it okay if I start? Yeah, let's do this. Today I'll be making a shrimp, andouille sausage, chicken, and okra gumbo. Mm. A little bit of everything in there. We call it gumbo yaya. What ingredients are in your gumbo? I start with the holy trinity, onions, bell pepper, and celery. And that's pretty much in every Cajun dish. Um, And then I made a roux, which is uh, just cooked flour and oil. And then I made a chicken stock and reinforced it with shells from the shrimp. So it's kind of like a chicken shrimp stock. I will also be adding some okra, garlic, chicken, some andouille sausage, and then the shrimp. And then I brought some cayenne pepper that I'll just eyeball. I have some oregano, Mm. salt and pepper. The thing about gumbo is you don't really measure, you just make it good. It should be close to filling up this pot. I'm going to say it's a four-quart stock pot. Yes. First, I'm going to brown the andouille sausage, which is a smoked pork sausage. It usually has a little bit of spice to it. It's a one-pound pack. It's four links. The packaged ones in the stores hold up nicely. More artisan andouille can kind of fall apart. You're on the portable burner that you brought. Yes, a little induction burner from Ikea. Right. Anytime you're browning proteins with a lot of fat on it, the stuff that gets stuck to the bottom of the pan while you're cooking. The culinary world refers to that as the fawn. In Louisiana, for some reason, they call that the gradu. And then when you deglaze with your vegetables, you're lifting all that off and you're just bringing it to the dish to give it even more flavor. And it adds color, too. 
So you see what I'm talking about? This stuff on the bottom there, that's what you want. And that's always the stuff that I love, like a little bit crunchy. crunchy yeah. yeah, that's the good stuff right there. The gradu. The older ladies, when they get super excited, they want the taste of something. They call that the envie. Like I got the envie for some gumbo. Like I've been thinking about this all day. Throw the okra and kind of stir it in. Randy has now added the already cooked reduced okra to his andouille sausage. I took all the okra and I cooked it down until it's essentially a mush. You could also leave the okra intact and add it more towards the end. It can get a little slimy sometimes. That's why I like to cook it down. And about how much okra is that? That is two frozen 10 ounce bags. When I find fresh, I bread it and fry it and then serve that on top of the gumbo so you have a little more texture, a little crunch. Plus it's delicious. Turn the heat down a little bit. Usually when you try to deglaze from the bottom of the pan, you just kind of turn the heat down so it's not super hot and you just let the moisture from the vegetables permeate into the fawn there and it'll just kind of lift it off. So you can let that sit and cook for a second. Let's crack open these beers, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's get to it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Salute. Salute to you, too. Salute. Well, let's ask you our Mardi Gras questions. You grew up in New Orleans. Homa, H-O-U-M-A, Homa's Indians, which is part of the melting pot of that Cajun culture. Okay. As yeah. a kid, you get to go to the parades, which was a huge deal. My grandmother, she lived like four blocks away from the parade route. So we would go catch the parade. All the floats would come by having a big party on the float while they were throwing beads. Some of them would throw like candy, you would get beads, toys. They threw all kind of stuff. Almost like trick-or-treating. And if you were at the end of the parade and they still had some stuff left, they would literally just dump it on top of you. There's also like high schools that have their marching bands and all the different crews. And there's royalty that drives by in convertibles and they're sitting on the back and they're all like dressed up. The parade is only on Fat Tuesday or do they have parades throughout the week? Different crews would span the two weeks up to Mardi Gras. Got it. Oh, I did not realize that it's only one crew per parade. Yes, but then one crew could have like 20 floats. So the night before they actually rode, they would have the ball. It was like a tuxedo type event. The king and the queen, the pages and the maids and the dukes. And I went to a few of those in high school. But as an adult, the couple of times I actually was in New Orleans on Lundi Gras, the night before Mardi Gras. And Lundi Gras is New Orleans at its most bumping is all I can say. The city doesn't sleep that night. And then they have to pull it together to go out for Fat Tuesday. Yeah, and then you go to the parade. People on Lundi Gras stake their claim to their spot on the median. They'll get out there like the afternoon before some of them will cook, camp out. But yeah, the town's just like music food everybody's just partying all night long so maybe they make gumbo in their staked out area for where they're going to watch the parade even would they i mean i would you got a little setup like this yeah right i'm really excited how well this burner works i'm just loving the smoke that's spewing from the pan i'm smelling the andouille and then i guess a hit of okra and a little bit of the aroma from coconut oil incredible bet there's not a nose on that microphone. So I guess um, I'm going to need to peel the garlic. I will get a cutting board and knife. No, I just use the butt of my hand right there and just kind of squeeze it, like smash it a little bit. Oh. Kind of the same thing you would do with a knife. Randy's so tall and, and substantial. 
but he could just do that with his palm. Wow. Wow. <laughs> the beer's kicking in. I'm going to try that. Hand me one of those. Sure. I want to see if I can do it. If you just crack the skin, you can peel it off still nice and intact. Nice. I did it. Look at this, Brian Delaney. I see it. It makes it a little bit easier to kind of chop up the garlic. That's really a game changer. I think that was five smallish coats of garlic. Just saute it super fast. All right, so that's browning up nicely. Now I'm going to hit it with the the stock there. And then from there, we'll bring this up to kind of like a little bit of a rolling boil. I usually make stock the night before. This time I used boxed chicken broth, and then I poached whole chicken legs in it, and then also added the shrimp shells to get a bit of the seafood essence. The biggest compliment I've ever had on my food, I made a smoked turkey gumbo, where I smoked the turkey and then I smoked the bones and made a stock, and a little Cajun lady came up and tugged on my shirt, and she said, I just want to let you know that that's one of the best gumbos I've ever had, and I was like, Done. I don't have to cook anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's a nice compliment. We are going to draw a crowd here on your sidewalk. Oh, yeah. oh, Lord. What's that? <laughs> oh, the garbage truck. Would you look at that? Wait, why are they here? Today's Tuesday. <laughs> the joys of recording outside <laughs> on a busy afternoon. Awesome. <laughs> okay, continue. Next step. Kind of bump the temperature up. Started adding the roux in. And roux just thickening with flour and fat. But how did you do it for this? First, I put a cup and a half of all-purpose flour and a cup on the oil. They say one-to-one. The less oil you can use, I think the better. And I use coconut oil. It has a little bit of a nutty flavor that transfers well into the roux. You can't go anywhere. You have to stir it the entire time for... Or about two beers worth. <laughs> so you get the roux to the right shade of brown, you know, two or three shades darker than peanut butter. Okay. It just adds more aroma. It also thickens. And then I got all of my vegetables chopped up on the side, ready to go. I did one yeah. large onion, two bell peppers, two stalks of celery, and two jalapenos. Throw it in the roux because it's so hot. Kind of sautés the veggies a little bit more. Once you start getting some color on it, if you walk away from it, it'll burn. If your roux burns, then you just start over. And you got to start on another beer. Yeah, then probably open the whiskey at that point. (laughs) We could probably bring the roux out. Roux it up. All right. I have been tending the roux inside off and on. It's just on low. Before we reheated it, it almost looked like stuffing. You could see the little bits of onions and peppers, but it still had that real thickness to it. Yeah. And you can make your roux days ahead? Yeah, I mean, you know, you put it in your fridge and it keeps indefinitely. In fact, you don't even have to refrigerate it if it's just the flour and the oil. I like to add a little bit of roux at a time. It just helps it transfer into the stock better. The rule of thumb is you want to add a hot roux to hot liquid. Stir it, let it kind of do its thing, and bring it up. It looks like it's coming together all right. Yeah, it does. In fact, that might be all the roux I'm going to add there. Um, I put the lid on, we'll let it cook down for a while, and then start adding the proteins. Gotcha. Working in the Commander's Palace Kitchen as a prep cook, I gained a lot more knowledge about the French technique. And the way that it's been explained to me, when you cook the roux in the oil, you open up the flour. So you're supposed to add a hot liquid to that. 
Because if you add a cold liquid, then you make the flour close, and then it separates from the oil. But what's the story of the Commander's Palace? Um, it was started by the Brennan family. Mm-hmm. In New Orleans, they are the restaurant family. On a busy night, they could serve 700 people, four-store meal. Amazing level of service. In fact, they had a chef's table where you sat in the kitchen and you could watch it all go down. Are you allowed to tell us the secret of gumbo from Commander's Palace? The one that really changed the game for me is we made a smoked wild game gumbo. Rabbit was the main meat, but we smoked the rabbit and smoked the bones. And with the roux, just had such depth of flavor. Mm. Let that cook down a little bit more. So I have a friend and a bunch of Cajun boys work with her. They bow hunt rabbits from the balconies of their hotel rooms and then cook them up and throw them in the gumbo. It was funny. I worked with a guy that brought a squirrel gumbo to work one day. And he had a legit squirrel head in the gumbo. He's like, well, you get a lot of flavor from the head. You're not supposed to eat it. Oh, wow. I tried possum before. It was a little too gamey. Ate a lot of alligator, which is delicious if you cook it right. Yeah, anything works. I think I got sidetracked somehow. I don't know how that happened. I am crazy about all of it. I really like talking about gumbo, so. I also learned my mom makes a root. She bakes flour just by itself so if you get like a pan note everybody randy is showing me about an inch of height of flour just toasted flour and it takes quite a few hours from what i understand get it to the color that you want and then that's your roux oh like you don't need to use the oil you don't have to worry about the roux separating anymore at that point hold on just one second till this truck goes away all right we'll pause here and another truck has come to our front door (laughs) Ah, inner city Portland. (laughs) We'll just come back to your mom. What'd you say about my mom? Oh, (laughs) say, how do your mother fool me? That's a big Massachusetts thing. (laughs) I think your mother's lovely. She's a pretty nice lady. She did a great job raising you. (laughs) What's the Dr. John song? Mama Roo. And then when we were growing up, she made her roux in the microwave. And then you didn't have to stir it. You just put it all together and perfect roux. We love quick tips with Randy Jackson. (laughs) Well, then back to your gumbo. I'd say it's been going for about 45 minutes. Seasoning all the way through is important for a gumbo because you have a lot of different components. Add a little salt, a little pepper. Sprinkling a bunch of oregano on the top. I did put a little bit of cayenne pepper as well. In fact, I might need a tasting spoon. Here. Oh, well. I'll probably add a little bit more heat. Do it. Once you got all that roux integrated, you brought it back to a light boil. And then once we get it to the thickness, I'll put in the um, already cooked chicken. I did three whole chicken legs, the thigh and the drumstick, poach those, pick the meat off, cut it up. Comes the chicken. And then I can put in one pound of shrimp, peel them, devein, and then cut them in half. I like to have more evenly dispersed ingredients. I love it. The shrimp's still raw. But you throw that in right at the end, and it takes 10 seconds to cook when it's in a big thing of hot liquid. Cool. I'm going to turn it down just a little bit now that everything's in there. That is one jumbo gumbo. (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't resist. (laughs) A lot of that fat will kind of come up to the top. You can skim it off, or you can just stir it up. Okay, I'm starting to get hungry now. Oh, yeah, it smells delicious. If you leave the seafood out of it, it's not an expensive dish to make. Let me do a taste real quick. So I don't know if I should double dip with my spoon during COVID. 
going to say I can give you my spoon that I've already licked on. <laughs> so that's not going to help anything. <laughs> you haven't used this one yet, right, Brian? No, I have not. Oh, it's got a little kick. Tastes like gumbo. Yahoo! So to finish it off, serve it over a little bit of rice or a lot of rice, however you choose. I already brought some cooked rice. Perfect. For a presentation, you can get like a jar like this. Tiny canning jar for a little teacup. Yeah. Pack it full of rice. Turn it upside down the bowl. Pull it off so you get like that mound of rice. And then you ladle in the gumbo around it. And then top it with as much fresh chopped green onion as you want. Mm. That sounds good. Where I'm from, a lot of people will use potato salad instead of rice. Wait, I'm confused. They put it on top of potato salad. Mm -hmm. Huh. I couldn't find any filet in the south. They usually just have a shaker of it on the side. What is filet? Filet is like ground sassafras. It's leaves. It's like one of the ingredients in root beer, if I'm not mistaken. It's like that old Hank Williams song. Jambalaya, Jambalaya crawfish, crawfish pie, pie filet gumbo. gumbo. Yeah, so that's filet. That's filet. And then I also brought some crystal hot sauce, the, my favorite hot sauce for gumbo. It's got like the right amount of heat and the right amount of vinegar in it. Well, should we taste? Yeah. Let's, yeah, do, let's it. do it. Wow, yum. It does feel like a celebration with the chicken, with the sausage, with the rice. That gravy consistency. Mm. And that's a fine cooked shrimp, too. Nice. Mm. Well done. Mm-hmm. Randy, this is stupendous. Thank you very much. The consistency on all of the meats is really admirable. I like how the okra flavor comes through in every bite. Yeah, and the oregano was nice. Mm -hmm. This is a curated flavor dish. Yeah. I'm very pleased. I don't like anything to overpower anything. I always try to go for balance. Oh, I'm really digging it. Good. If you think it tastes good the first day, then the next day it's going to be exponentially better. You let all these flavors marinate together for a while, and third day is when it's in its prime. Yum. You guys think the heat levels... Um, I think it's perfect, actually. It, like, sneaks up on you. Did you try the crystal oh, hot sauce? I haven't done that. Oh, okay. cool. Let me do that. I usually eat a little bit with, a little bit without. Sometimes okay. I put a little dab in the spoon. Oh, I like the crystal. In Louisiana, you have crystal hot sauce and you have Tabasco hot sauce. It's kind of like Coke and Pepsi. So what was it like growing up in Homa? I mean, the swamp was kind of like your playground. You know, rope swings over the bayou. And by the age of eight, I had my own pirogue, which is a little flat-bottom canoe. Me and my friends would just go on adventures all the time. A lot of catching fish, killing snakes, getting a little too close to alligators, but a lot of good memories there. What, what do you do if you encounter an alligator? I always was taught that an alligator looks at you like your food or your not food. Like I can eat you or I can't eat you. If it can't eat you, then it doesn't really mess with you. So you have had that happen to you. Oh, yeah, I've been pretty close to alligators. I mean, you do a lot of water skiing and kneeboarding. You know, you go down these bayous and if you wipe out, you're waiting for the boat to turn around and you're sitting there in the water, you can't really go anywhere, and you, you'll, I've definitely seen some alligators. Um, I would say the closest encounter I ever had, I was helping a very good friend of mine, one of the most Kijan human beings you'll ever meet. He was like, come check this out. There was a nest, and you could hear a sound. It was like, meh, meh. And sure enough, there was some hatched eggs and one little baby alligator crying. He picked it up, and like I held it. And all of a sudden, he pointed, and you could see the weeds in, like, really, really shallow, muddy water. The mother alligator came running out towards the flat-bottom mud boat. So he put the baby alligator down and got in the boat. Wow. It's good times. <laughs> Nobody I've ever known has been attacked by an alligator. Right. 
it's definitely a unique place um, to grow up. You don't realize how unique and different it is until you don't live there anymore. Food and family, it's just a big part of life. Once you've grown up and you don't live in the same house, if your siblings live in the same town, you guys are all going to have dinner together at least two times a week. It's important. Yeah. A family cookout could be on a Wednesday afternoon after everybody's off of work. You could have 30 people show up at your house. Wow. It's like your cousins, your aunts and your uncles and grandparents are there. And it's part of the culture, you know, and it, it's so much fun. All right, so I guess if you guys want to take any for day number two to try. Sure. Yeah. Just get a to-go thing and we can fill it up. Done. My sister has a saying when something's really good, she's like, I want to take some of this home so I could eat it by myself and <laughs> think about it. And, you know, it's like a really good compliment when somebody really enjoys your food. It's about feeding people, but you also get something back when somebody's like, man, that was really good. What did you do? It's just very satisfying to be able to share something where you're from with someone else. You know? Wow. I'm going to give you a compliment right here. Brian is licking his plate, literally. Mm. Licking the bowl clean. <laughs> My dog is sitting here <laughs> jealous. My kids do that sometimes. Yeah, the dog's like, I don't even get to lick the bowl clean. <laughs> Serious, guys? Here, Cammy. Cammy, I left you one lick. What if you want to have more now, Brian? <laughs> <laughs> My dad, when something's really, really good after he eats, he always says, ça c'est bon. Ça c'est bon comme ça. My three-year-old son, when he really likes something, he'll say, saucy bum. <laughs> <laughs> so what are you going to do this Mardi Gras? Are you going to celebrate anyway with the family? You know, my parents used to send me a king cake every year. There's a company that specializes in yeah. king cakes. Baker Dan told us, in McKenzie's. Yeah. The ones from McKenzie's are just essentially like humongous glazed donuts with all of the sprinkles of purple, yellow, and green on them. Yeah. You know, they don't put the baby in the cake anymore. Oh, they don't? In oh. case a kid eats it. Now, we haven't heard this. This is no. So the person that buys the king cake can hide the baby in the cake and kind of monitor who's taking what piece. Um, we've done that with the kids a couple of times. Delicious. Well, this has been fun. Just yeah. hanging out, talking about food. Thank you, Randy, for coming over and doing all this. We're so honored. The preparation of this was a whole art form and in art in making new friends. Randy, this was an amazing time. Thank you again for coming over to our outdoor makeshift kitchen here at Peace, Love & Soup on the east side. Share this pot of love with your family. Thank them for giving you your time to us. Can I say that better? I think, yeah. Thank you again for your family to lending time to us. <laughs> wait, 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 we could just say uh, <laughs> le bon ton roulé. Le bon ton roulé. Ça va. Really? Oh, so it was that no. it? No. Oh, that was my French. Ça, c'est bon comme ça. Au revoir. Laissez les bons temps rouler. Ça, c'est bon. Finally, we'd like to close the show with a quote from Mark Twain. It has been said that a Scotchman has not seen the world until he has seen Edinburgh. And I think that I may say that an American has not seen the United States until he has seen Mardi Gras in New Orleans. And this one from today's tea. May this day be the day to lead us to peace, to happiness, and to joy. Join us next time for some peace, love, and soup. And some real Hungarian goulash. You've been listening to Peace, Love, and Soup. Audio nourishment for the heart and mind. With Brian Delaney. And Tave Fashe Drake. 
For past episodes, photos, recipes, and more, go to peaceloveandsoup.com. There you can subscribe to our podcast and sign up for our newsletter. Please leave us a review. We need your support. If you'd like to be an angel contributor, we'd love to hear from you at peaceloveandsoup at gmail.com so that we can keep sharing the peace, love, and soup around the world. Thank you.